Well, October is almost over. We can feel it outside. Um, October was pastor, staff appreciation, and uh, all I've wanted since I've arrived here is for one person in one moment to feel for me what Jaden feels for Kenny every Sunday morning. And, uh, and you guys made me feel very loved during Pastor Appreciation Month, so thank you for that. Uh, appreciate you in return, and um, it's, it's been a great month, and we've been studying First John, and we're going to continue to study First John. So if you want to turn to First John chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 18 this morning. And uh, just to a quick recap, I want to remind you that John has mentioned many times why he is writing. This, this letter. He, he was writing it so that they could have fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. He was writing it so that their joy may be complete. In chapter 2, verse 1, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And, and we see these, these over and over and over, we see these, I am writing to you so that, or, or some form of that. Uh, chapter 2, verse 7, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. So he's reminding us of this old commandment that was from a long time ago, to love God and love others. Uh, but it is new in that it's been uh, revealed through Christ. So even though it's old, it's, it, the application of it and the manifestation of it was new. And then verses 12, 13, and 14, several times he says, I'm writing to you, um, I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you. And so we see that his desire is for us to have right fellowship with God, right fellowship with each other, for our joy to be complete, and for us not to sin. And sin, is it, it gets in the way of us having that right fellowship with God. And, and so we've seen that week after week after week. And this week, we're going to study 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. And as we're studying this, we're, we're going to go fairly quickly um, compared to how I usually go through verses. Uh, so I, I, I want us to pay attention. I want us to, to go with this, and, and I want us to remember things that we've already been taught. For those of you who have been here for previous sermons in First John, if you haven't, then I just gave you a brief summary of where we've been, and so this is where we're going. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 18. Children. So again, he's using this term. He's called them his little children previously. He's saying children because he loves them. He feels like a spiritual father to them. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrists have come. So there's several things we see here. First, the affection that he has for them, children. And his age compared to the people to whom he is writing, he feels this need to lead them as a father leads children. Uh, it, it is the last hour. This is uh, the already but not yet aspect that we've been going through when we talked about salvation uh, previously. Uh, we Once we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're saved, right? It, it's, our salvation is complete. And yet, we don't experience heaven yet. Our salvation is not perfected yet. It's not that that aspect of, of glorification hasn't been experienced. And so, in the same way, it is the last hour. Jesus, the Messiah, has already come. 
He has already died on a cross. He has already risen from a grave. He has already ascended into heaven. It is the last hour. And so in John's day, that was true. It was the last hour. And in our day, it is true. It, it is the last hour. Um, and so what I want us to remember here as we're reading this is that John wasn't wrong in him saying it is the last hour. It, as soon as Christ came to earth, as soon as he lived his life, as soon as he died on that cross and rose from that grave and ascended into heaven, it was the last hour. And so it still is until his return. Uh, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Now, in the Bible, there is this figure that's spoken about primarily in Revelation, but there's some verses other, other places like Daniel and here uh, that talk about this singular person, this Antichrist. And this person is going to play a significant role in the uh, very end of the last hour, or the very end of uh, this side of eternity. And uh, uh, we see him mentioned here. But look, he says, so now many Antichrists have come. So there's this figure, the singular figure that's Antichrist, but there's also any person or spirit who goes against Jesus, who goes against God, Jesus being Christ, is an antichrist. And so he says, many antichrists have come. And what is the, one of the things that he is addressing in this letter in 1 John? He's addressing the fact that there are people who used to be a part of their group who have been teaching these false teachings and telling people that, that Jesus wasn't even a man, that he was just a spirit. And because if he was man, if they said that flesh is evil. So if Jesus was a man and he was made of flesh, then he would be evil too. And so they had this false teaching that um, that Jesus wasn't a man. But we know that, that Jesus was fully human and fully God. And so anyone teaching against Jesus, anyone teaching against the truth of who he is and what he has done and what he has to offer us today and what we have to offer him today in, in our uh, relationship and, and worship of him. Anyone who teaches against that is the little a antichrist, is the plural antichrist, I should say. Um, it doesn't... Uh, the, the spirit of a person who is teaching against Jesus, uh, the personality, the action. That's an antichrist. So, therefore, we know that it is the last hour because all these people have shown up teaching against the Messiah, teaching against Christ. Look at verse 19. They went out from us. Who is they? Yeah, the antichrists, the men, many antichrists, the, those who have taught against Jesus, taught against what he desired and wanted and who he is and who he was. Uh, they went out from us. Who is us? Yeah, the church. Y'all didn't know you were going to have a quiz when you got to church this morning, did you? Uh, but I'm asking these questions. The reason I'm asking these questions is because I want us to be clear because a lot of times we can read something and we, we get to the end of a verse and then we start a new verse or we start a new chapter or whatever the case might be and, and our brain disconnects the context of the previous verse or chapter. And so what I want us to see here is that they, those who te taught against Christ, those who were against him, the Antichrists, they went out from us. 
the church. You know, I've, I've come into contact with a lot of atheists. And I'm a little bit of a weird bird, as many of you have already found out. Uh, I actually like a lot of atheists. I have a lot of friends who are atheists. I used to work on a university campus. And uh, some of the people that I spent the most time with were atheists. I completely disagree with their worldview. I completely disagree with the conclusions they come to about Jesus and life. Um, but I love them. And I want them to know him. And I, and I, I, I really desire for them to come to a salvation knowledge relationship with Jesus. But let me say this about atheists. The most stringent, belligerent atheists that I have met, guess where they grew up? A lot of them in the church. And these antichrists were a part of this fellowship. Now, I'm not saying they were uh, spiritually members of the church because of reasons that we'll see very soon. But they were among them. They were a part of that group. And unfortunately, future, future atheists, future antichrists, in this passage, we're talking about antichrists, they will come from today's church. And you know what? I'm not saying they have good reason or good excuses in the sense that God is good and no matter how people treat us or no matter what we're taught, we, should, we, we are responsible for our own relationship with God and we should all come to a place of knowing Him. But logically, I get why many people come to a place of not wanting to have anything to do with the church and since they rightly so relate the church to Jesus then they don't want anything to do with Jesus. I have seen people, many people, not just a few people, I've seen many people have experiences in the church that would turn many of us away from Christ, from his church at least. And if we're turned away from the church, then eventually if we're not getting involved in another fellowship, then our relationship with Christ is going to suffer. And many of you in this room have probably had similar experiences at one time or another. And many of you have made your way back, thank God, to the church. And, and, but here's, here's what I want to say. I know a, a close friend of mine named Jeremy who, um, he, when he was about sixth grade, he got kicked out of a church for talking during a sermon. So he was like, well, I just won't go back. But then he decided, you know what, I'll, I'll go back. I'll go back. And Jeremy had a tattoo at this time when he went back and he got kicked out of the church for having a tattoo and then the third time uh, he came to church I was a pastor and I was begging him and begging him and begging him to come and he finally came and the first thing that was said to him when he walked through the door he had a lip ring and he, this guy looked at him and said what's that? Now thankfully the guy was joking and he smiled at him and you know he was like oh, I'm just messing but it, Jeremy told me later, he was like, my heart stopped for a moment. I thought, it's happening again as soon as I walk in the door. And Jeremy just responded and said it was a fishing accident. But anyway, um, it all worked out. And now Jeremy uh, it, it loves the Lord. He is an incredible young man for Christ. Um, a couple of summers ago, in just one summer, he led 30, 16 to 24-year-olds to Christ. And that's from someone who 
was kicked out of church from someone who was hurt by the church. And there's a lot of Jeremy's in this world. And so there are some times when people become anti-Christ because of the bride of Christ. But then there are other times when people can get there all by themselves. They don't need any help. That because they haven't had a relationship with him and don't have a relationship with him, they begin to believe either false teachings or their own inclinations, and they become against Christ. They become anti-Christ. And, and so let's, let's look at this, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. So they were in our midst, is what he's saying, but they weren't Christians. They weren't members. And this becomes clearer as we continue to read. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So what's going on here? He's saying that if they had been Christians, what would have happened? They would have stayed with us. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean, and let's fast forward to our modern culture, this doesn't necessarily mean that you would stay in this church, that you would stay in First Baptist Church Mansfield. If you're really a Christian, you're going to stay right here. But what it's saying is if, they, if you're really a Christian, you need to be a part of a, of a fellowship. You need to be a part of a church. And if, if you guys know people, even in, with, in this very church, that have been hurt or done hurting or whatever the case is, and, and they've left, um, leaving a church in itself does not mean you're not a Christian. But if you never get back involved in a church, that's not a good sign. And again, I'm not trying to read into anything John is saying here. I'm just trying to say what he's saying. And he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, this goes back to security of the believer. And if you if they were of us what would they have done they would have continued with us if they were truly christians then they would have continued in in their relationship with christ and in their relationship with the saints but they weren't truly christians they were never truly christians they look at what it says they went out from us but they were not of us it didn't say they stopped becoming a part of it. They stopped being a part of us. It said they were not of us. They never were. They were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And so for those of us who love the Lord, who are called according to his purposes, who have been born again, who are saved, those of us that have a relationship with Jesus, if it's real, if it's real, then that will continue. That we would continue with us, but they went out that it might not that it might become plain that they are all are not of us. And so, I know people, you know people who grew up in the church and who now say that Jesus is not real. They say that that they they don't have a relationship with with Jesus. They never did. And for a lot of us, we we almost try to talk them into yes, no. I re, I was there when you made a decision. I was there when you walked an aisle. But let me tell you, if someone doesn't love Jesus, if that love isn't there, and in fact, they're against Jesus, the reality is they probably were never saved. I don't care if they said a prayer. I don't care if they walked an aisle. 
if the fruit isn't there, if the evidence isn't there, then what we find in Scripture over and over again is that people probably never had a relationship with him in the first place. Now, there can be moments of backsliding. There can be moments of doubt. Of course, we're all going to have those. But they're moments. They're not, they don't last forever. Conviction comes if we have the Holy Spirit. We're about to see this. And I'm setting this up. We're about to go faster through this passage. But I'm setting this up because this is so integral in what what the rest of this is going to look at. And what we have to realize is this. Is this keeps coming up in 1 John and it becomes clearer and clearer to me as I study it. Is that there are these two camps. One camp says... Uh, once saved, always saved, and to the point of no matter w- what is said or done, no matter how long a person remains in rebellion, they're saved, and um, nothing they do will change that. And and I think that's true to to with context. But let's go over to the other side. Then there's another camp who says no. Yes, you can get saved, and a person is secure in their salvation in the sense of if they don't mess it up, then they're saved. But as soon as they mess it up, then they're in trouble. And so if uh, I've accidentally tripped and fell off the church roof, and I have been this amazing Christian my whole life, but cuss on the way down and die, then it's over for me. Um, And so there's that camp. There's these two extremes. And these extremes come because there are passages in Scripture that... If you just take them by themselves, you can make those things be true in your mind. Because there, but there are these nuances to these passages that are just being thrown out. And what's, what's real is, is that there are passages that say that you are secure in the hand of God. In John chapter 10, you are the father's. And no one will snatch you out of his hand, right? We, no one will snatch us out of his hand. And then there are these passages that say, if indeed you persevere to the end, you will be saved. And so the if you persevere makes it seem like if you mess up, then your salvation is not secure. And there are these passages over and over and over and over again. I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. That you know, they're they're mine. No one's taking them away from me, right? There are these passages like in First Peter chapter one that our salvation is kept by him in heaven. No one is going to do anything with that. There are these strong passages. So once saved, always saved. But then there are the, these passages where even Jesus says, Lord, Lord, we casted out demons in your name. And what does he say to them? Depart from me, for I never knew you. And so here's the catch, is I do think if we are saved, we are saved. But the Bible gives all these warning passages, and here we find another one. We will find, we found several, and here we'll see another one today. These warning passages where if, if you're not remaining, if, if you don't truly love him, then maybe you never loved him in the first place. And so we have to check ourselves to see if our salvation is secure. And then and, and that's what when we're over here and we see these passages, if indeed you persevere to the end, this isn't saying remaining perfect. This is you have faith 
You keep your faith. You remain in the faith until the end. And if that faith remains, then you know that you have a relationship with him. But if there comes this season of life where you just don't have faith, where you have no love for Jesus, where you don't feel anything for him or act in obedience toward him, if that is this prolonged season in your life, then you need to ask yourself, am I a Christian? And so I do believe that if we are saved, then we are saved. But that's a big if. And, And I know I've said that before. But here we are in this passage. It is one of the main themes of John that we can be secure in our salvation. And so I wanted to bring it up. It won't be the last time that it comes up, but it might be the last time we mention it in that much depth uh, while we're in First John. So, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are all, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. So he is saying to the people reading this, basically he's saying, I'm, I'm confident that, that you're not of those that went out, that you're saved, uh, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. That could be Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. It's not very clear. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, verse 21. So here he is, I write to you. He's saying it again. Not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. All right, so he's saying, I'm writing to you because I know you're Christians. I I trust that you're Christians, and I'm trying to affirm in you what is true. But you have to remember, you have to realize that those who went out, those who are antichrists, that they were never part of us. But I have confidence that you are. Verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Okay, here's this remaining again, this persevering. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. How many of you in here believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? How many of you in here believe that that He lived a life without sin and died on a cross for the glory of the Father and to save us from our sins? How many of you in here believe that death could not hold Him and that He rose again? And in Him, we have eternal life. Remember, what's John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believeth, whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life, eternal life. We have what he has through Christ, through him, through a relationship with him. But if we don't have that relationship, if we're trying to come to God without Jesus, then how are we going to get there? Because we're still sinners. We're not saved by grace through faith because we're saved by grace through faith by the work of Christ. By what Jesus did through him and through a relationship with him. And so... If we have this relationship, if we have faith, if we have trust, then let that trust abide. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. So for those of us who have a relationship with him, what's our promise? 
eternal life. If we are saved. But what makes us saved? It can't be coming to church. Because if coming to church saved us, then the Antichrist that were mentioned earlier in this passage would be saved because they were of them, but not of them. They were there, but not of them. They were never of them. So they, they attended whatever was going on. They were a part of the group, but they never were saved. They never had a relationship with God. And, but for those of us who do, what is our promise? Eternal life. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So again, he's warning them. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Verse 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, Abide in him. So let's break down this last verse. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. So do you have a relationship with God? Because if you do, then that that relationship, that anointing, the Holy Spirit abides in you. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict you. If you, if you are straying too far from what God desires and you're a Christian... What's, what should happen? Conviction. The Holy Spirit will not let you just continue and continue and continue to stray without conviction if you are a Christian. And so we have to realize that the anointing that you receive from him, it remains in us. It abides in us. And we talked about abiding last week and this remaining and, and it's just a theme throughout John's writings, not just First John, but his other writings. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, let's, let's clarify what this means. This doesn't mean you don't need a pastor. Uh, if it meant that you didn't need a teacher at all, then rise John writing this letter to teach them? Okay? And so what this means is, is that, um, let's be honest. When it comes to most sins, do we need someone to to read us the Bible to tell us that it's wrong for us to know it's wrong? Do we need a preacher to preach a sermon and tell us why we're, why we're sinner, why we're sinning in order for us to know that we're sinning? Not most of the time. Most of the time, if we're Christians, if the Holy Spirit abides in us, if we have a relationship with Him, then the Holy Spirit is going to let us know when we're doing wrong. Now, there are times when we read God's Word and it pierces our heart and it shows us uh, the sin that is in our life, and we need to confess that sin. There are times when you hear a sermon, when someone is teaching you, and and um, and he in the he's speaking or she is speaking on a truth that uh, challenges you, that convicts you. Of course, God uses teachers. There's so many verses that talk about the gift of teaching. There are so many verses that talk about the need for discipleship, and not just for special people to make disciples, but for all people to make disciples. So, of course, we need this in our life. But as his, uh, but what we need to realize is you have no need that anyone should teach you. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit that is living in us, abiding in us, convicting us over our sin. And so, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And so the, the la- this is the last verse we're going to look at this morning. 
and we're about to close the sermon. But what I want us to, to remember of these words is that what he has taught us, the truth that he has put in us, he is in us if we're saved. He is in us. What should we do? We should be in him. We should live for him. We should obey him. We should remain in him. And so, I don't think we can read these warning passages over and over and over and over again and just walk out the doors without soaking in the warnings. And so what I want us to do this morning is I just want us to ponder these truths. I just want us to ask ourselves, is the Holy Spirit in us? Do we have this conviction? Not just our mama's voice, not just our conscience in the back of our mind, but this desire to live for God, to love Him, to abide in Him, to obey Him. Is that there in us? And if it's not, and you can't remember a time when it has been, then the question is, have we ever been of Him? Have we ever been saved? Have we ever had a relationship with Him? And I'm not trying to cause anyone to doubt your salvation this morning. Because if you are saved, then I believe that you can have security in that. I believe that you can, can rest in His promise. And what is His promise? Eternal life. I believe that we can rest in that if we are saved. But again, that's a big if. If you love him, if you know that he has called you, if you know that you have a relationship with him, then thank God this morning. Thank God that you have him. Thank God that he has saved you. Thank God that he abides in you. And now let us abide in him. And for those of us who are saved in here, Let us think back. Have we ever been a person who had played a part in creating antichrists? What I mean by that is, have our actions, our attitudes, our words, have we ever played a part in driving people away from the church and away from Christ? And if we have... Let us repent this morning. Let us make amends this morning. Let let us ask people to forgive us. Now, just because we ask people to forgive us doesn't mean they will forgive us, but we can do what's right regardless of, of what they do or not. And so, if you're saved, that's great. Let's rest in his promise. But let's make sure that we're living a life that is leading others to this same relationship that we have, this relationship with Jesus, where they can truly become a part of us, the church, his people. And let's make sure that we're not living a life where we're driving people away from Jesus. Now, some people who are against Christ, they're going to leave a church no matter what you do, no matter how you act, no matter how much you love them, because... If they're against Christ, they're against you if you're in him. Um, But I'm talking specifically about things that we can handle, that we can control, our actions. So, if you're in here this morning and you realize, you know what? I don't think I've ever had a relationship with Jesus. I've been to church, 
I've been playing that part. But there's never been a change in my life that was caused by this abiding, this, the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. There's never been a change in my life where I fell in love with him and that love remained and it led to change in my life. If there's never been that, then I do want you to ask this morning, am I really a Christian? Have I been saved? Because if that is absent, that is the very thing that the warning passages are about. They're there for us to ask ourselves, are we in him? Are we abiding in him? Do we have a relationship with him? So, whether you're saved or you're not saved, whether you have a relationship with him or you don't, whether you're abiding in him or you're not, I think there are things that all of us need to go to God with this morning. I think there are things that all of us need to ask God, Lord, help us to be right with you. Help us to be right with others. Help us to be a part of building up the kingdom of Christ and not creating more antichrists. Help us to be of you. And I pray this morning that God would speak to all of us. That he would give all of us the burden for people and for his church that he has. Because it's sickening, it's perverse that the church sometimes plays the role of Satan in driving people away from Jesus rather than drawing him to them to him. And so let's just make sure that we are right this morning and that we've confessed our sins if, if there's anything that we've done in the past and that we're living for him. But let's also not just focus on these harsh words. Let's focus on the hope that we have in him and the eternal life that we have in him. And if you don't have that, you can have it this morning. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus. All you have to do is ask him to save you. So wherever you are this morning, this invitation is for you. Respond to him in whatever way he's calling you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, pray that we would heed your words, that we would heed the warnings of 1 John, of Jesus, of many others, Lord, in Scripture. God, I pray that we would just uh, put our faith in you, put our trust in you, and that you would help us to be all that we can be for you, Lord. That we, the way we live our lives, the way we love you, would be contagious. And that other people, Lord, would feel loved in our presence. And they would feel loved by you in our presence. And that they would want you. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you, who's never come to know you, who's never been saved, I pray that you would save them this morning. And God, whatever you've been doing inside of our hearts during this time together, whether it was before we arrived, whether it was Sunday school or worship, whatever you've been doing in our hearts, help us to respond to you in whatever way you desire, Lord. Your spirit, Lord, lives in us. It abides in us. And I pray that right now you would show us what is right. It's in Jesus' name we pray.